Hey, hey, friends, welcome to the Lens of Faith podcast. Today, we're going to talk about something that's very important when it comes to change. As Christians, we need to not only vote biblically, but vote locally. I recently read many statistics that over 15 million Christians are not even registered to vote. Let that sink in. For far too long, Christians have just sat back with this mentality like, you know, we'll just let Jesus take care of all the craziness. We're not going to get involved. You know, we have our golden ticket to heaven. We're just going to stay safe, hide out, you know, wait for the rapture, and then just get out of here, you know? Meanwhile, we see the enemy running these streets buck wild. More than ever, friends, we need to stand up, to speak up, and to take action. It's because the church was silent that Roe versus Wade was passed. Prayer was taken out of schools. You know, we see this indoctrination, this onslaught of perversion on the children. I mean, just craziness. The enemy is bolder and louder than ever. You know, he's not trying to hide anymore, and he's running these streets. So we need to vote for godly, righteous leaders in government. And so that's what I'm doing, friends. I can no longer be silent and just, you know, complain in my house with my friends and family. It's time to take action. Change really begins at the local level. And it's critical when it comes to the future of America, our children, on who has say on the school board. It's a total God story, but God connected me with a local righteous school board candidate, Michelle Morrow. And I am so excited to run with her, to be on her campaign, and to have her as my guest today. And for her to share how important it is to vote for the right local school board candidate in your district. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Hi, Leah. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. No, it's an honor. I love it. And now I'm helping Michelle in her campaign. Yes, <laughs> you are. You her. I'm rooting for you every step of the way. Uh, Thank so, you. So you're a mom, a wife, yeah. you know, you have five children. You know, right. Um, what was it? Because, you know, nobody just jumps into politics lightly, you know. Right. <laughs> it's right. <fierce. laughs> but you really have to call to do it as a Christian. But what was your turning point said, you know, enough is enough. I'm going to run for school board. What happened in your life that, you know, motivated you? Well, um, thanks for asking. You know, it really comes down. We moved back to North Carolina eight years ago and we had come from a, a, a camp out in Colorado where my husband was working. I was the head nurse there and um, we didn't have any Wi-Fi where we were living. So it was kind of an idyllic experience. I would listen to the radio to find out, you know, what was happening. But when we moved back to North Carolina, I we moved back kind of in the middle of the year and I was homeschooling my kids and I had every intention of putting them into public school in the fall, right? Like once, once the semester was over. And then I started meeting families who had kids in the public school or who had had them in the public school and they had taken them out and they were now in the homeschool co-op that we were in. I started discussing, talking to teachers who had left the public schools and now we're in private school and telling me to put the kids in private school. So I really started paying attention to uh, school board meetings and seeing what was going on there. And I was getting involved in um, some grassroots organizations organizations because as a nurse, I was very concerned about medical freedom. Having been a former missionary, I was very concerned about the issues at the border and started doing YouTube videos and things like that and getting involved. So 
on really it was legislative day of days of action that people were sending things that were bills that were going to try to be passed that had to do with education. And this was probably about five years ago. So then I started kind of paying attention and going, huh, this is interesting. Like this is so different than when I went to high school in, at, I went to high school in Charlotte. I graduated from South Mecklenburg. I went to UNC Chapel Hill. That's where I got my nursing degree. I worked there for a few years before I went to Texas. Then I was like, this just seems very strange. Like they're not teaching civics. Like they're not teaching, you know, these practical things. And when I started looking at the math curriculum, I was like, what is this? Like, it it doesn't even have anything to do with numbers or objectivity. And I started really evaluating and I thought, and then I went to hear a seminar and they were discussing that um, the the Port Huron papers and the Port Huron papers were talking about how to make the United States become a communist country. And this these were written up in Port Huron, Michigan, back in like the 1950s. And it was at one of the university campuses there um, from from a communist group. And they were saying that you needed they that the goals were to to break down the nuclear family um, and to go after educational system, the media, um, rewrite history to go after monuments, um, as well as, you know, to take control of healthcare system and, uh, and, and then to, you know, to get rid of guns. And I thought, whoa, like, um, like we're kind of like, like we're, we're a few steps into this. And so really what got me really interested, my son, it was a freshman at the time and he started taking classes um, with Steve Noble, who actually does, he does a, a radio show here. And we started studying U.S., um, you know, the Constitution. And and I was doing that alongside of him. And we were doing U.S. history as a family. And I was like, wow, like, I never remember hearing all this. So this was about seven or eight years ago. I was like, I never remember learning this in school. So it just piqued my interest. I started hearing from friends about issues that they were having at the school, about their kids feeling like they were not able to talk about their faith in the Lord, or just that the fact that they had differing views from their teachers. They felt like they were not able to speak out in class or write things in a paper. And so that started me on the path of going to school board meetings, going to legislative meetings. I started looking at the funding because, you know, this will be the third bond that they have asked for in the eight years that we've lived here. So we're looking at billions of dollars at this point that they've asked for extra monies. And I'm like, does anybody know where this money is going? I mean, we're spending upwards of $10,000 per student per year. And we have children that cannot read or write at grade level and they're allowed to graduate um, high school. So this, it was kind of just this whole thing. In 2020, I thought about running for school board and I was told that they already had a conservative candidate. And so I obviously didn't want to like split up that boat. So I actually worked for Karen Carter and and hung things on the doors for her. Um, but I was concerned because I called her and had an over hour conversation. And I thought she's really not conservative in terms of socially conservative. Um, I felt like she was playing things really close to the middle and even, you know, just kind of even toward the left. And I thought, well, that's right. That's right. And I thought, well, I mean, we'll give her, you know, I'll give her a chance and, you know, it's, it's better than, it's better than the guy who was the incumbent who didn't want parents to have any say in anything about the curriculum. So, you know, it's the lesser of two evils. So really in 2020, I thought about running And then in 2022, I had actually thought about running for North Carolina Senate because Mm. I had seen a lot of good bills, I thought, come out of the House only to sit on the senator's desks 
up in Raleigh and they did nothing with them. And their premise was, oh, well, Cooper's just going to veto them anyway. And I said, well, let him veto them, right? Like you need to stand up and do what's right, whether or not he vetoes them. And then I completely got switched into a different district. And I really didn't know anyone in that district. It's a incredible, it's one of the bluest districts in all of, in all of the County. And so I thought, you know what, that's going to be, and my husband, um, his boss decided that he wanted my husband to take over the business by the end of this year. And going into the Senate is a full-time job. Like you're expected to be there Monday through Friday and it's 40 hours a week. And I still have two kids at home. And so one is graduating in May and the other one is in fifth grade. So with him starting a new job, I thought, you know what, the school board, I'd wanted to do this two years ago. I have some really great ideas. I've done public, private, and homeschool. I think I know the the benefits and maybe the the challenges of each one, and maybe we can put them together and make our public educational system be the best that it can be for everybody. So um, I said, well, I'll just throw my hat in the ring and and offer what I know and and what I can bring to the table. And I also I've spent my life being a mediator between people, right? And 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 being an, an advocate for people as a nurse, as a missionary, as a foster parent, as a teen mentor, um, and even as a teacher in in the private realm. So I feel like my life experience and my ability to converse with people and find common ground is will be a benefit on the school board. Yeah, well, God is definitely raising you up for such a time as this. <laughs> um, Hopefully, and, yeah. Yeah, and what's funny is I actually was homeschooled, private and public as well. So yes. I did all three. The reason why we started homeschooling was because my daughter it had been in public school for over three years and she had an IEP and had some learning differences and it was just a constant struggle. And I felt like I was teaching her at home everything that she wasn't getting. And so it felt like it was just every night. And I was like, this is elementary school. She's still not getting this. Like, it seems like it would make sense in the private schools wouldn't let her come in because she had any, you know, if you had any special needs or whatever, you know, the private school would re reject her. And so it was like, I'm just going to do this for a year. I'm just going to get her caught up. I feel like we're wasting time eight hours a day. By the time she comes home, she's exhausted. At least I can do, you know, what she needs in the morning and, and then we can be done. Yeah. Um, and then after she came home, her brothers wanted to come home like a year <laughs> later. And then I was like, okay, I'll try this for a year. And then we moved to Colorado, you know? And so it's just, it's yeah. just been what, what's worked, but it's really a year by when, year. When, you know, your attackers come at you and tell you, you know, what do you know about the school board? You know, you homeschool, you know, even if you didn't know about public or private school, which you do because your kids were all in all three. So you know about, you know, each one of them, right? We know the school board is such a critical position, but um, I read recently that there tends to be lower voter turnout for school board. Yeah. Why should people care about their local school board? Well, you should care, as we spoke before, because the direction of our schools determines the direction of the nation. And I know for anyone right now that is owning a business and trying to hire people, for instance, there was a pharmacist that came through yesterday and I got talking to him in the in the voter line. And um, and he said, I just hired somebody that graduated from high school and he cannot count change and he cannot tell time on an analog clock. And and that is and that is typical. It's not atypical. And so what we're doing is we are lessening the work ethic and 
I'll tell you, I know many people that own, have owned restaurants or they own, you know, businesses where, you know, it's like a department store. They cannot get students to come and to come when they're supposed to come. They'll just call in at the last minute. They're not dependable. We've got to teach the next, the young people, not only the basics of education, we need to take, teach them financial, you know, financial health and understanding finances. We need to teach them about civics. We need to teach them uh, about just life skills, but as well, we need to encourage them to be people of integrity, who are people of their word, who are going to be hardworking. They're going to be law abiding, and they're going to understand that when you get out of co- when you get out of high school, you should be able to then pursue the career of your choice. If you want, if it takes going to college, you should be ready for that. But I think after eight hours a day, five days a week, nine months out of the year for thirteen years. Our students should be ready to be productive members of society, to go out and to get jobs for themselves that they could provide for themselves. And if we aren't teaching those character traits, if we aren't giving them the sound basic education that they are promised in the North Carolina State Constitution, if we aren't giving them opportunities in high school to connect with businesses locally, um, then we are failing ourselves because in 10 short years, every second grader will be a graduate and they will be a part of the new workforce. So this is not just who's going to work. It's going to be who's going to own the next businesses, who are going to be the leaders in our society, who is going to be the next elected officials, who are going to be the next parents, right? Or, or, or people that are serving in our community. It matters because it's going to impact all of us because in 10 years, you know, when we want to retire, if there's not anyone to run this or to run that or to run that, and if, if work is being done and it's not up to par, right, that's dangerous for everybody. So education is the great equalizer, but it is an opportunity. It, you can't, you can, like they say, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. We can bring a child into the classroom. We cannot force them to learn, but we can set up an environment in which they want to learn mm-hmm. and they want to be there. And they feel like there's something there for them, that yeah. they are going to learn something and have passion and excitement about their future. And that we should all be lifelong learners. But what happens in school determines whether or not you do want to be a lifelong learner, right? Or whether you see learning as nothing but a negative. Right. Telling um, people this lately, like even if your kids are homeschooled and they're safe, right? Okay. Because they're not being indoctrinated and all these things, right? There's not going to be a school shooting probably at your house, right? Okay. Right. Right. But even if they are, they still are going to be raised in this world with That's right. the majority of children that were in public schools. And those are going to be their peers. And those are going to be the ones that are, That's you know, right. affecting change and affecting the world that you live in. So That's it right. will still deeply impact your children. Children, you know, whatever happens in the schools is going to deeply impact your children at some point when they have to live in this world. You know, right. what, are they going to stay in your house forever? I mean, you know, no, they're not. <laughs> right. Even if they so, think they are. So yeah. yeah, you can keep your your kids in a bubble for a little while. But it's so important to vote for the school board because how those kids are being raised, like you said, like they said the things that are happening now, they started saying that they wanted to do that in the 50s and nobody stood up to it. Right. And look at where we're at now where that's actually becoming a thing. Right. All those things. I mean, statues have been knocked down, you know, all this, you know, they're trying to take away guns. All those things are happening now. So unless somebody stands up for, you know, what's right 
creates change, then this is going to affect your your children either way, whether they're homeschooled or not. You know, because absolutely they still have to live in this world. Right. And I say this, I mean, in my opinion, we are all either consumers or we are investors in the public school system. 55% of our taxes in North Carolina go to the educational system. So the direction of the schools determines the direction of our nation because that is the next generation and the next generation. And so when we, 85% of all students will be in public education at some point in their lives, it should be the absolute best option. We have the money. We know how to do this. At, at 20 years ago, we were one of the top educational systems in the country. And there, we need to go back to what works. We don't need to recreate the wheel, but we need to look at the things that we tried, that we thought were going to be helpful, that have in, instead led to the academic decline, the mental decline, and the lack of the, the lack of responsibility and the lack of unity that has been created just within the last 10 years and say, okay, let's rewind. Let's see what we thought was going to actually build cohesion, what was going to build, you know, an appreciation and a maturity um, amongst our young people. And let's see where that's broken down. And I think, um, you know, we, you always need to evaluate decisions and it's not, and there's nothing wrong with trying something and then failing at it and saying, okay, let's, let's get rid of that because it's not helpful. But I feel like we're just pushing, 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 continuing to push down the same door that isn't opening. And we're just going, but we have to do it because we've, you know, we decided that we were going to do this and we have this contract. Okay. We'll break the contract, right? If it is not, and, and this is something that people don't understand when they talk about, well, Michelle, um, you don't have your kids in public school. So how can you know what's going on? I read and I've been at multiple legislative meetings. I have listened or been at most school board meetings for the last four years. I've been and spoken at county commissioner meetings. I come and I bring them ideas for improving safety, for curriculum, for improving reading, for improving these things, for, for bringing trades, for bringing apprenticeships into the high school. I'm saying, hey, look at this. This is working in this county. This is working in this state. Let's, we don't have to figure this out by ourselves. We don't live in a, a in a cocoon. We right. need to branch out. And if it's not, it, if it's not doing well in our state, find a state where we are succeeding in this area. Yeah. If there, it isn't happening in our country, let's look at another country where they're being successful because I can guarantee to you, the rest of the world is not diminishing their academic rigor to talk about sensitivity, to talk about lifestyles, and to try to make everybody be culturally sensitive at every moment of every day. They're just not doing it. Right. Right. I'm meeting and getting the support of Asians and Indians and Europeans and people from South America, all these people that have lived on, they've sought to be in the United States. But you know what? what the Asian and Indian friends have told me, they said, you know what, Michelle, our children know more math by the time they're seven or eight years old than is even being taught in K through 12 here in the United States, because they so highly value math and science because they understand that that is the wave of the future, right? But if you cannot read or do math at grade level, you are now, we're on a global, we're in a global economy. We, our children will not be able to compete with the rest of the world 
for these jobs that are coming to the United States or that are being, you know, farmed out to other nations. There's no reason for that, Leah. We are the number one place to have a business. We have been the number one place to live for decades here in North Carolina. We should have the number one public school system, hands down. And that is why I'm running because we cannot deny our children. I don't know if you saw the News and Observer article today, front page, historic low test scores nationally. North Carolina has never been this low in the history of taking statistics. Something has got to give. We need new leadership at the school board level. They are the ones that set the tone, that set the policy, that hire the administrators that are saying, these are the marching orders. We want our school to be this. We want them to be excellent. And we will give you everything you need to make that happen. But you've got to have that communication. You've got to have that, that give and take. We've got to have people in there who are willing to come together with people who don't agree with them politically and find out what is best for our staff and for our students. Yeah. Even people that aren't Christian, that are Democrat, leftist, I mean, they're even sick of it, you know? Absolutely. Um, All of this is too much. It is too much. All this indoctrination, this, you know, uh, hormone blockers, the school shootings, the death culture, the, you know, all of the the drag shows, all of it. It's too much. On, I mean, if you have any moral compass at all, Christian or not, if you have any sense, you're going to know that it's evil what's happening and you want to get rid of it as a parent. Right. And I keep saying to people, like, Children are not emotionally or intellectually or physically able to handle these adult topics that you and I can have conversations for hours and never come, right, never come to a conclusion with people who are our peers. We've got to let children be children and just they love to learn. And we are sucking that out of them by making this all be about political and racial and social justice issues. If we are teaching our children to to evaluate people by the color of their skin, we're teaching our children to be measuring up and going, oh, is that really a boy? Is that a girl? Oh, who, who do they like? Who do they like? Children should not be discussing that, especially in elementary school. Yeah. Teach them to read, to write, to do math, history, science. If a child has mastered reading, writing, and math by the third grade, they can learn anything. Yeah. Spirit of confusion is so thick, you know? Yes. I mean, these kids are like five years old at a restaurant, at school, and there's drag shows. They don't know who's a boy, who's a girl. I mean, it's just an onslaught of confusion. I mean, us as like human nature, we don't want to be confused. We don't want to walk around confused. We want to know what's right, what's wrong. We want to know the guy or the girl. We want to know, you know, it's just that it's unsettling to have to live in a culture where there's not um, an absolute you know, like, it's just kind of like, oh, it could be a girl, could be a boy. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yes, I agree. And that is what breeds insecurity. And it is what breeds this feeling of, like you said, confusion. But also, it is that it's that idea that relativism is really dangerous. Because as you know, children are concrete thinkers. Right. That's the reason why they believe in Santa and the tooth fairy. They believe Superman can fly because they just take a, a an adult's word that that is the truth. Right. They're not going, well, why? And, you know, how does he really fly? And how does he, you know, I mean, that how comes. Does, with how age. does a fat man fit in a, a chimney? <laughs> that's exactly right. But they just they just take it as truth. Right. And that's why right. we must 
we must protect that in, in our youngest children. And, um, and that is our responsibility as adults. And it's our responsibility as a community. And it's our responsibility to make sure that the schools are for educating, they're for helping children to build character, they're for teaching them, about, helping them to discover their uniqueness, their talents, helping them with the things that they might never be great at, right? But letting them know that's okay. You yeah. have something unique about you, as we said before, that only you can contribute to this world. That is you. You are special in that way. Let's figure out what that is. Let's get you prepared for that so that you can go on and you can pursue a career. You can, you know, have a family. You can be, make a difference in the world and it not be all about ourselves. I feel like we've become such an introspective people that we're always, we're always thinking about how do I feel? How do I feel? I did not grow up that way. Right. right? I mean, we knew what was expected of us. I mean, there would be times that you had, you know, difficulty, but you weren't always thinking about, Oh, how do I feel about being a girl today? You know, I mean, yeah, it's (laughs) It's ridiculous. Really? Right. I mean, we just, we didn't have time, you know, I was in school and sports and had jobs and, you know, and and that's what we need to get back to. I just want to thank my parents who, you know, when I went through my tomboy phase, they didn't try to change my gender, you know, because I am telling you, I was a total tomboy. I used to climb trees and roofs and fences. I never wore dresses. I was just like, rolling in the dirt like I was just yes. always a camper you know yeah I was, I was too boy and you know I now know. I just I really embrace and love you know who God's created me to be which is 100 yes. woman you know that's right and that's right there's more and more are coming to light of these transgender adults you know now yes. that they're adults and they're weeping and weeping on how they wish that they never did it they went through like seven surgeries all these things oh, tragic they were pressured by doctors or parents and they can never go back. They can never go back, you know? And so it's really scary to tell a kid that thinks he's a dinosaur or she thinks that, you know, she's a fairy and, you know, and then she's going to grow out of it in like a year. And that's just imagination. Like that's the other thing is we're, we're, we're making things concrete that aren't concrete. Sure. You can pretend that you're Cinderella today. Sure. You can be the pirate, you know, I mean, like Bill Maher said, wow, I'm glad that, you know, when I pretended to be a pirate, my parents didn't remove my eye and cut off my leg, you know, um, and give me a peg leg, but you know, but, but that's, that's the, and that's where we need to speak up, um, for those that, that don't have a voice for themselves. And, um, and I think edu- our schools have got to be the place that are about education. They're about, let's focus on what do you like to do, right? Yeah. And that's how you find your friends. I've always told my, my kids since they were small, find people who like to do the same things you like to do. And that's who you become friends with. They never thought about what the color of someone's skin is. They never even thought when they're little, whether it's a boy or a girl. They, you know, if you look at a preschool playground, the kids are all playing with the kids who are friendly to them, who they have fun with, and they don't even think about it. And we're putting,
putting, we're putting that onto our children. We're defining who is acceptable to be friends with, right? Who is the person who is safe for you to be close to? Kids innately know who is friendly and who they feel safe with, right? Yeah. And we're breaking yeah. down those barriers even in the discussion of sexual things because kids are naturally averse to any adult that would come at them in a sexual way. Right. And now, you know, one of my pastors years ago said there is a pattern to falling into sin and it is first something is thinkable, then it's hearable, then it's watchable, then it's speakable, and then it's doable. Mm. Right. That's that pattern. And that's what we're constantly doing. Mm -hmm. We're constantly, you know, the enemy can put ideas into our mind, but then we hear other people talking about it. We watch it on a television show or we read it in a book. And then we feel free, like we can talk about it with other people that are watching those same things or reading those same things. And then that breaks down that guard over our children's hearts because sexuality is not for children. There's a reason why puberty happens, you know, above the age of 10, when you're out of that concrete thinking stage and you're moving toward the, you know, toward the, the rhetoric stage where you can ask the questions why, where you can have that civil debate and really kind of start struggling and through what you really believe about the world. There's a reason why that that's when those topics, that's why PG things are rated because you need the guidance of your parents for these topics. That's why PG-13 says, you know what? Until somebody's gotten to this age, they really are not able to handle these themes. Right. You know, until they're 18, they shouldn't be participating in this, this, or that because it's dangerous because they might participate in a dangerous activity. Right. And so we need to go back to that and protecting right. our kids. Yeah, when I was in junior high, I mean, I'm from California, but it was very diverse. I mean, I had a yeah. Chinese best friend, Puerto Rican best friend. I had black right. best friends. I had, right. you know, Mexican. You know, nobody even thought about race. Race wasn't no. even it. It's like, do I like the I person? Like you said, do you do you get along with that person? Do you like right. that person? You yeah. Know, Are they kind to you? Do you have right. fun together? I mean, yeah. you know, or do you play in the same sports teams or, you know, are you in band together or whatever? Yeah. You know, you have similar interests. Yeah. Pastors need to be more bold and fearless, you know, and speak about this. I mean, we're in a very critical election. I mean, every election I know. a cycle is, but like right now with how crazy and woke everything is, how demonic things are becoming and they're trying to make crazy stuff the norm. I said like pastors need to speak up. This is no longer political. This is moral. Like that's you know, exactly right. It's I know you need to get out of that frame of mind that this is a political separated with the church. No, it's all the same. Like how the church is, is how the world's going to be and vice versa. Like how, how does it not leak into each other? How does it not affect your, your way of living? I mean, well, and the, and the reason we are in the situation we're in is because it hasn't right. Exactly. Because we've compartmentalized our spirituality and said, we can talk about Jesus right here, but we're not going to go out into the world and don't do politics and don't do civics and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I mean, it's now is the time that we need to decide whose side are you on, right? You're either going to join the battle with God's army, or you are going to fall prey to the world, pulling you in to the battle with the enemy. And you, there, is no neutral ground. And, you know, when I said that on my thing, you know, like you either worship Jesus or you're worshiping Satan. <laughs> I was like, listen, I didn't make the rules, you know, like you're upset with Jesus. You're upset with God. You're not upset with me. So um, whatever, take it or leave it. I said, either they're going to 
compartmentalize me into the school board or they're going to let me loose so I can do damage on a broader scale. But whatever it is, I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. So oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud oh, of, thank of you. being on your campaign. It was a total God thing that we even got connected. I mean, uh, you know, like, you know, the story I told you, but you know, when you're single without children, you're not thinking school board. I mean, you right. barely vote. So, you know, like, right, just right. Kinda, you know, I mean, I vote for president and I'm like, I don't know anyone else, but you know, I've never right. been really deep political. Right. Um, but I have always been a fighter for justice and morality. I've always been right. a freedom fighter. I've always been that since I was little. Um, I remember uh, picketing an abortion clinic when I was 16, when I was with my dad, right. we went right. to the Capitol and everything, you know, what a year or so ago when it started to get really demonic with um, the indoctrination of the children, the gender, the hormone blockers, the drag queen shows. Mainly for me, I think what really got me on fire was in entertainment. Like I couldn't go on Netflix anymore without indoctrination. I couldn't right. just watch a simple movie without some type of immoral push, right? Like they're just yeah. really trying to shove it down our throats. And yeah. more and more, it's like, man, I can't even watch a movie anymore. And then I went to California. I was at my sister's house. She was working in her office, home home office. And my brother-in-law was upstairs because he owns a business. He was working. And they just left my 10-year-old niece you know, to herself with a remote. And I just happened to be there, you know, and it was just me and her. She took the day off of school and she just, you know, flipping through channels and she goes on Nickelodeon, which is a kid's show. You know, you think it's just kids appropriate, right? Mm -hmm. And she goes on there, Michelle, she was watching a show. This boy is a star of the show. He's like 15. He's in a, you know, a locker setting, like a school setting with lockers. They're doing right. some fundraiser, looks innocent. You know, they're doing some fundraiser on the show, right? And then all of a sudden, Michelle, no joke, like the star 15-year-old boy just starts making out with another boy in the hallway of the school on Nickelodeon. I got so yeah. irate. In that moment, yes. I got so, like, the, the fierce lion. Uh, yes, yeah, out, yeah, yeah. The, the mama, well. I'm like the the, mama the, bear. Yes, yeah, yes, the yes, anti-bear, yes. and I'm the oldest, yes. so I'm like, no, yes. no, I will fight you, right? It was meant to be. God had me there, I'm telling you. I believe everything when you're a Christian and you're walking in the spirit, you know, everything, yes. nothing's an accident. Like me That's meeting true. you, when I met you, how I met you. I mean, everything yeah. is very strategic and I always see God's hand in every little thing, but God had me in that moment to see that because yep. that was part of what God has been doing, just showing me things like me watching a Netflix movie recently with Kevin Hart, Me Time it's called. It's, uh -huh. a, it's, a, it's supposed to be a family comedy, it had kids right. in it. Right. And um, I mean, I post all this on my social media. I don't even care. I'm like, this is what's happening. You know, like at this point in my life, I'm fearless. So I don't even care. Cancel, get out, leave, unfollow. I don't care. Like, right, right. I don't even care anymore. I'm like, when God is for you, who can be against you? And uh, amen. It's nobody. True. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, you know, too many people want to please God and people and you can't do both, you know? No. So this is a mainstream. It was like number two on Netflix or something. And the little girl that's five years old, his daughter says, oh, what's a penis? She's like, can I have one of those? And he said, oh, when you get older, yeah, you can have one. We'll talk about it later. This is like right now, a movie that's out right now. They set that whole wokeness up, though. They set that it, whole. Exactly. And that's probably just PG, right? Yeah. It's a family comedy. God has already been preparing me to help you. I was just going to do my job and, you know, take pictures of this event that I take uh, every month. And I saw your yard signs and uh -huh. but it was the Holy Spirit, like even 
turning my head to these yard signs. You know what I'm saying? Like right. my whole right. life, when did I see school board yard signs? I didn't even, right. like, <laughs> right. it wasn't even a thing, right? Right. So I'm just saying, it's not even something parents a lot of times are looking at, unfortunately. Right. right? Like, right. it's almost like he had me turn my eye to your signs, you know? Like, yes. I would yeah. turn and then your sign would be literally right there. Right. And I would turn right. and your sign, I was like, whoa, who's this? Like, it was like, he gave me this interest for these signs. Yes. And then yes. when I parked, I saw all your car magnets on all these cars, but it was like, he was showing me these magnets. Right. Right. And I right. felt like the Holy spirit was showing that moment. He told me to look you up. He told me to look you right. up. And I was like, uh, she might be liberal because this is a wealthy area. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and all the signs are this blue hue. Yeah. yeah. But hey, uh, you know, I'm going to be obedient. So anyways, I looked you up. And when I went to your website within one minute, I literally started weeping. Oh, yeah. yeah. I started crying. And it was because I was watching that clip that you had about whose children are they? Yep. Yep. And yeah. after that, I just started crying. I just started reading about you. And I said, this lady is basically me. Okay. She's, right. She's right. Me. Yeah. Like, because, like, because it's truth, right? Like what we're doing is the Holy Spirit's leading to protect our children and to get back to righteousness. So that's the reason why we see each other. You, we see ourselves in one another because that is the Holy Spirit of unity that is saying it is time for the people of God to rise up and to say enough is enough. Our children need to be protected. Their innocence, once it is lost, can never be regained. Let them enjoy their childhood. They have their entire lives to know the seriousness of issues that face adults in this community and around the world. Let them learn, let them realize who they were created to be, encourage them. Not everybody is going to be great at math. Not everybody's mm -hmm. going to be great at reading, but you might be a great athlete or you might be a poet or you might be an excellent singer or you know, wonderful at sports or putting things together or you have an entrepreneurial mind. All of those things should be in our schools. They should be ways to draw out the different uniqueness of each individual. And that is what is lacking. We are trying to push everybody into a mold of group think. And that is the danger of indoctrination. When we say indoctrination, that's what we mean. We mean that people are not encouraged to ask questions or to doubt or to have, you know, have a differing opinion about something. It's you either go with what you've been told, what the group is saying, or you're ostracized. You're going to be cast aside. You're going to be labeled as something other, right? Or even, even worse, like we're labeled that we are we have animosity toward those people who think differently than us. It's like, there's not an animosity. There's just a truth of you're living in a way that is not going to ever bring you contentment. And we can see that by the absolute anger and hatred and vitriol and constant. Mm, I mean, people are walking into these polling stations with the, with the fists clenched and they refuse to look at anybody and they refuse to say hello. And I said to my, I said to my son just the other night, I said, do you remember before masks when if you were walking down the street, if you were passing someone's path in a grocery store, you would look at them and say hello and, or you just smile and and recognize that there's another human being. No, I mean, even now that people don't even have masks on, people are not being friendly. Just that openness of, hi, you, it's just a fellow shopper. It's just a fellow, you know, person, carryite or whatever, wherever you live. And it's really sad. Um, and I think that we have to get back to that in our schools. We need to start having a welcoming environment to our kids. And we've got to stop this 
constant like examination of feelings and this constant categorization of who you are as a person. There's no one like you. Every person is created unique. God does not make any mistakes. Right. Why don't we tell every one of them there's something that you and only you can contribute to the world. And right. we're here at school to figure out what that is and to get you prepared to do that. Period. That's what school should be about. Right. right. And let families, let whatever your faith family is, whatever your lifestyle choices, you can talk about that at home. School needs to be about training up the next generation. Right. And you were saying that people just are not, you know, friendly, just, you know, casually friendly, like they used to be. I was thinking about that actually yesterday because I went to the fair, uh-huh. you know, it was completely crowded. I just noticed that, that people, you know, they just all look depressed and miserable and just, just in general, like, you know, yes. you're at the fair, which is supposed to be a great time. It was a beautiful, sunny day. Right. You know, it was a, it was a great day to be alive, but you know, yeah. I think they're just as you could just see the distrust in people. You can see they don't want to engage and, yep. you know, it wasn't like that last year or the year before. Right. But it's just kind of how our culture is right now. But with me having Christ and me, I'm just extra friendly to everybody. And I think right. it started to open people up. Like they felt uncomfortable that I was friendly actually. Yes. But then the more that yes. I would talk to them, the more they felt comfortable with me. Um, but that's sad. Yeah. It used to be that kind of the sense was everyone could potentially be your friend. And now it seems like we're coming at it from the opposite. Everyone is probably an enemy until you feel them out. You know what I'm saying? Like it's the, we're coming at it from the opposite side. Uh, almost in everybody is skeptical, um, you know, or or guarded, uh, and that's from the isolation. I think from two and a half years, um, mm-hmm. and it's also from people just being beaten down and and not being able to be who they are. You know, I find it ironic that the whole idea of there's people that are struggling with, you know, mental health issues because they're not allowed to be who they are. And I'm thinking to myself, that's an entire like half of the country who has been labeled as hateful, you know, bigots and racists and homophobes and, you know, domestic terrorists and all these things. Like that's millions and millions of people that have been attacked, that have been silenced, that have been canceled, that have been, you know, shamed for a political view. So if you're talking about inclusionary tactics, um, you know, it needs to be everybody. Either everyone can just believe what they want to believe and we can go back to civil discourse, or we're just going to focus on the 5% or less of the population who has these, you know, different choices of lifestyle and they demand that everybody agree with them. And if you don't agree with me, that means that you're hateful and you're a horrible person and you need to be, you know, and you need to be hated by everyone else. Right. And um, it's, it's a really horrible way to live. And honestly, I can't imagine how our young people are dealing with that in school day in and day out when the adults are, have been so incredibly hateful and such bullies and whatnot on social media. In addition, we also live in a death culture now where, you know, just three, four years ago, there wasn't a, where suicide is left and right, where, you know, they're just promoting death, you know, like, you know, abortion, all of it. There's not this value right. in human life. Oh, you want to commit suicide? You know, teenagers are telling each other, you know, bullying them, telling them to commit suicide. Right? There's fentanyl. You take one pill of fentanyl and you could die. I mean, right. I have a family member that she's a teenager. She almost died from one pill that she, you know, for me growing up, I just remember, I didn't really hear about suicide. I didn't really hear about no, shootings no. Yep. and all that. Yep. And now it's like, oh, just bring a gun to school. Just start shooting everyone. You I mean, we know here in Raleigh, you I mean, a 15 year old boy, I 
I actually know one of the victims. Uh, she's the only oh. one of the only survivors in critical condition. But she, oh you know, word. he was a 15 year old. I know. You know, killed his brother, then killed five random people. One was a off duty police officer. I just know. because of what? For no reason. He didn't even know these people. And I that's know. the culture that we're in right now. It's just this death culture where it's like yeah. you know, there's not a value for life that there used to be where, you know, even if you, it wasn't even a thing, if you were a Christian or not, it was a common morality in a way, you know, like yes. yeah. a regard and, for and life, you know, that's right. And, and I just, I think that we have told ourselves that the way to make everyone happier, especially young kids is not to put limits on them. And I think it's the exact opposite. I think when children don't have boundaries, when they don't know where the limits of what the expectations are, it breeds an incredible insecurity. And I'm talking to teacher after teacher who is either still in the school and will tell me, I, you cannot share my name, right? This has to be anonymous. Why? Because they know that if their administrators, if their fellow teachers knew that they leaned concerned that they would be worried for their jobs, that they would be worried that they would be, you know, rejected from the other teacher group, or that they would not be offered either a raise or if they want are looking for, you know, a, a somewhere to move up into the ranks in the educational system, they think that they would not be accepted. That's wrong on so many levels. But the other thing that they're saying is there is absolute disarray in the schools, in the classrooms themselves. And they are not getting the support from the administration because the administration is being pressured from outside bureaucrats from the US Department of Education which via the DPI via you know the the larger superintendents that are saying the thing we need to do is just be nicer to, like if somebody's throwing chairs, just be nicer and ask him, you know, why are you upset today? No, that's not how this works. The way that this has worked for the last 200 plus years is that children sit in a chair and they respect their teacher and they do their work and they keep their hands to themselves. And if you don't do those things, you're removed from the classroom. And if it happens multiple times, your parents are called and the parents are told it is a privilege to be in this classroom. If your child will not obey the rules, they're not allowed back. And this is where we need to come to. And it needs to be obviously just, it, it can't be unbalanced where it's, you know, one set of people are, are held to one set of rules and the other set another rule, but without boundaries, without consequences, there's absolute chaos and everyone is insecure. The teachers don't want to go to work. The, the students don't want to be in the classroom. Nobody wants to be there. And this has been an dramatic shift, even in the last six or seven years. So when I'm talking to teachers and they're saying, well, it's not like that. And I taught and I, you know, I retired 10 years ago. I said, it is not the same classroom that you left 10 years ago. And we have got to get back to when academics was key and every person, I don't care what your role is, what role on staff, what your role is as a student Every person has to take personal responsibility for their actions and understand that there is a consequence to every decision. You can choose your decision, but you don't choose your consequence. And that we've got to bring that into society. It, we, it, the fact that the fact that we have so much animosity toward one another that people feel free to scream at a 
at a at a polling place that someone should go to hell or that's running for office or that they should be hanged or that they are dangerous around children and they should be in prison, which all of these things have happened while I've been at the polls trying to talk to people. The fact that they feel the freedom to do that and to verbally assault people in public and no one thinks anything of it is a very dangerous place for us to be. And that makes our classrooms a very dangerous place for our children. And it is not fair for us to be putting these burdens on our children. You know, they want to say that mental health is on the decline because these children are not being accepted because they're transgender. No, that's not what it is. The children have no boundaries. They have no expectation of what's expected and what is going, things can change every day, right? Yesterday, people sat in the chairs and did what they were going to do. Today, it might be completely different. You know, tomorrow might be completely different. And I just talked to a substitute teacher who actually substituted for two years. And then he said, it's a young guy, young. And he said, um, he goes, I can't do it anymore. He said, I don't know if it's just when a substitute comes. He said, it is absolutely unruly. Nothing gets done. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of their time. And he said, it was miserable. And I did it for two years. Here's a young guy that looks like he's pretty much fresh out of college. Who do we want, right? Our, our high schoolers and middle schoolers should love to have a young guy, right, that's in the classroom. And it used to be when I was in school, I would love if I was in elementary school and a high schooler came in, you know, and they were going to do something for the class. It's like, oh, a high schooler, you know, I mean, and, and now it's like, yeah, exactly. And now it's like, there's just, it's pretty sad when when young men who want to serve in our schools are saying, this is horrible and I can't even control these kids. And now we're expecting a female dominated profession to be able to, you know, have, have some type of, you know, regulation and standard in their classroom. What do you do? I mean, I'm shorter than most kids in, in high school, right? I mean, most guys, are going to be towering over me and these guys that are strong. I mean, we have a, a, a male teacher whose jaw was broken last month by another, by a student. Mm. Right. And they'll, they'll explain it away and go, well, the student has special needs. Okay. That's fine. But there should have been some guards. Well, now, in that place. Person has, now the person that got a jaw broke has special needs. So. That's exactly <laughs> right. But but we just keep making excuses yeah. for people's bad behavior right. and blaming it on a diagnosis or blaming it on their upbringing or blaming it on other people don't like me. It's t We've got to stop that. That is not how America got to be as strong and as prosperous and quite frankly, as entrepreneurial and ingenious as we are as a nation. It right. was through getting through adversity. It was through persevering through difficulty. It was through ignoring the naysayers and the haters, right? And just continuing right. to plow forward and to do your best work. And we need to instill that in the next generation. We can't just all be victims. Right. Um, we are blessed beyond measure to be a part of this country. Um, but we also have a responsibility to ensure that it maintains um, as a free country. Yeah. There's so much fear mongering going on, you know, and it's just, yep. my final question is what sets you apart as a candidate? I am, as you know, I'm pretty strong-willed and I am able, you know, there's been, there's been people on the school board that have said how hard it is to take, you know, the negativity and things that are coming from, from the, the, um, this community. Well, I can handle that, you know, because 
I understand that every elected official, their first and most important job is to secure the rights of their constituents. I understand that. I understand that this is a job interview. I work, I will work for the people of District 9 and for the people of Wake County. I know that I bring incredible years of experience. I am a problem solver. I am solution-minded. I have many ideas for changing things. I also have lots of relationships with people on both sides of the aisle up in the legislature. I understand how to mediate. I understand how to find common ground. I have many friends who are teachers. I have many families who, you know, are across the gamut of, of, you know, racially and socioeconomically and, um, and, and lifestyle wise. And so I think my life has been about advocating for people. It's been about serving people. And I understand what it means to be a public servant. I'm not doing this because it's glamorous. I'm not doing this because, you know, I just want to have this position. And I want everybody to know school board makes $18,000 a year. This is not about the money. It's not about prestige. It's about, I feel like God has gifted me with an ability to the number one jobs, policy, dealing with the budget, and being a hiring staff and being a mediator between the legislature, the school district, and the staff, and the community. I have skills in every one of those areas, and I am far superior. I'm going to push against the things that are not contributing directly to scholastic success and career training for our young people. And um, so that's why I think I, I have that's what it awesome. takes. Well, I just want to pray over you as we end today, because I know this is such a spiritual battle. You know, the it enemy is. is after our children, you know, yes. as we see it's left and right, just all the indoctrination, all the craziness. And of course, you know, he's not going after the adults that are already set in their mind. No, he's going after the innocent ones, right? He's going, right. you know, the enemy will try to kill you either. If he doesn't get you in the womb, then he's going to try to get you when you're out of the womb, you know? And, um, right. you know, I've done many podcasts on this. The enemy does not want us to be who God's called us to be you know and it's so true. he wants you know either you to die or you to be confused or you to live in darkness I mean, like we know in the bible it says the thief is here to still kill and destroy and that's all he yeah. does he walks around the earth looking at who he can devour and he goes after yes. the weak ones so yes um, we really need someone in the school board that is going to be like no the buck stops here you know we're not yes. going to allow this to be taught or you know we're going to protect our schools so i'm just so proud of you and i know god's got your Thank back you. you know do not Thank be discouraged you by all the attacks that you're getting. I mean, of course, you know, the enemy is upset that you are, you, you know, you, you're about to, you know, stop him in his tracks. So of course he's going to try to come at you. If he wasn't coming at you and this was smooth sailing and you didn't get attacked at all, you know, that would also be like, okay, what am I really doing right to make a difference? Right. So, right. The, the attacks are kind of just, you know, confirmation that you're doing what God's called you to do because the enemy doesn't yes. like it when we mess with his, you know, agenda. Right. That's so, right. Um, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud to be on your team. And oh, I can't thank you celebrate you. when you win. <laughs> yes, yes. 15 days, 15 days. That's right. So let me just pray over you today. 
Lord God, thank, thank you, you so much for Michelle, Lord God. Thank you that you've given her this boldness, this fierceness for such a time as this, Lord God, to stand up for the future generation, your children. You love the children so much. And the Bible says it's better that a millstone be tied around someone's neck than to harm a child. You are so pro-life. You create life. You've died for life. And you would leave the 99 for one life, Lord God. And Michelle is here to fight for life. She's here to fight for the children and the rights of the children and to create a better world, a better community, Lord God. And I just pray that you give her the discernment she needs, the wisdom, the, the financial support, any support that she needs, Lord God, that you would give her peace, that you would give her rest, that you would protect her family, that you would give her family rest, Lord God. I pray for favor in this campaign, Lord God, that she would win with flying colors, that she would be that history maker, that world changer that you have created her to be. Give her the the Thick skin that she needs, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Honey, love you. Love you too. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Make sure to subscribe to get all the blog and podcast updates at leahmariecarson.com. Follow on Instagram at The Lens of Faith. And be sure to subscribe to the Lens of Faith podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Remember, friends, life becomes clearer when you focus through the lens of faith. Talk to you soon.